0: Welcome to Enough Room, a music learning project with Symphony Nova Scotia, supported by TD Bank Group. Hello and welcome to Enough Room, a music learning program of Symphony Nova Scotia. I'm joined this evening by Jamila. Hello, Jamila.
1: Hey, Danielle, How are you doing? Thanks for having me.
0: I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So let's dive right in. You are a reggae artist. You are living in Nova Scotia now for how many years? About four years, actually four and a half years. And before that, you were in? Jamaica. Jamaica. Oh, Jamaica. (laughs) Jamaica, all right. (laughs) (laughs) So that's great. Uh, I am... Half Jamaican, half Trini, Trinidadian from the Isles of Trinidad and Tobago. That's um, awesome. That's right. So for you, it's rice and peas. For me, it's peas and rice. It uh, is. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have some. So let's get right down to the nitty gritty right off the bat. Do you have some favorite places for Jamaican food in Halifax? Where do you go?
1: Yes, I actually do. I love Brata. In Pizza Corner, oh wow, they have such wow. good food, and then and that's only second to my mom's house because she lives up in Clayton oh, yes. Park, right? So, okay. um, yep, so <laughs> she's you can- not quite as good as my grandmother, but she's exceptional. so in the
0: chat you can send me the address when i'm back when this all lifts then i will be over to clayton park having some jamaican food that's so great yes please (laughs) so it's wonderful that um you know you've been here for the past years i know we work together at symphony nova scotia and we'll talk about we'll get into that a little bit later what i'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about for those of us that are part of the symphony nova scotia family is your jamaican background just tell us about life what was life like for you in jamaica
1: sure um so I grew up in the countryside, up in the mountains of St. Anne, high above Ocho Rios um, with my grandmother. She's a kindergarten school teacher. And so my yard is always full of kids, always full of playing. And there are all these fruit trees. But anyway, I moved to Kingston, which is the big you know, metropolitan area of, of Kingston for, um, for school. And that's when I really got to bond with my father, because when I was much younger, he was a traveling musician. And I didn't get to spend as much time with it as I, as I would have wanted to. So once I was living in Kingston, I took the opportunity to immerse myself into music and to make up for all those years where I was cultivating my craft in church, as most of us do. (laughs) Yes,
0: It's true. Yes. It's true, isn't it? It's true. So what, let's talk about that for a moment. What craft did you cultivate in church specifically? vocals,
1: yes, because I didn't quite learn how to play a a, a musical instrument, but since I was a child, um, I've always just been passionate about vocalizing and passionate about not only reggae music, but gospel music, R&B, jazz, you know. It wasn't until I moved to Kingston and got really close with my dad, my dad's musical life, that I really understood the legacy that I brought um, or, or that he brought to my life with reggae music. And I, I mm. immersed myself into it once I was of age and understood what it was. But as a teenager, I was listening to Beyonce, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and still are, I hope. Oh, and definitely. still are, I hope. Yes. Okay, yeah, that's good. It's interesting. I, and I believe, you know, I know Whitney had a relationship with the church as well, too. I'm sure, I, I, I should know if Beyonce did or not. I, I imagine she did. It's funny how many of us started practicing the craft before we knew we were practicing the craft. Cause for me singing, I, I'm not a singer, obviously, um, except for in rehearsal, sorry, orchestral musicians. Um, but a lot of it actually was for me in church was the public speaking was talking, was welcoming people to a space, guiding them through an experience yes. and funnily enough acting. Cause I didn't grow up in Baptist church. I grew up in what I like to call PowerPoint church, Right yeah. where it's like the words are up on PowerPoint for the song and this, like, like, yes, yes, you know, you know what I mean. And <laughs> I do. There, there would often be, you know, before the sermon, there was a sermon illustration, and that was often the form of a skit. Yes. So there was acting in the church. So it's funny how that becomes part of my uh, part of my career now. But same thing; it was all in the church. So you took that and you integrated that, and you fell in love with it in Kingston.
1: Oh, absolutely! Because at first, <laughs> I'll tell you all about it. You know, too, um, Daniel, that when you were going to church and getting involved in these activities, you were doing it because it was a passion of yours. When I was in in Kingston and, and realized what my legacy was and understood what music could do for me and met all these people, it opened up a lot of doors and I was like, I can actually earn from this. You know, I remember the first time I got paid to do some background vocals. I was maybe around 14 years old and I maybe got um the equivalent of uh, 100 US at the time and I I couldn't believe it. I was floored. I was like, they're going to pay me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> but you it also shows the um the sincerity that you approach your craft with yes. and 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 your passion with as well. And and as you hone your skills more, you understand that yes, people should honor you with that way, because that is a part of you that you're sharing. You know what I mean? You start to sit into it.
0: (laughs) We go from, we go from, I can't believe I'm getting paid for this to, I better get paid for this. (laughs) You better pay me for this. But it's funny because it comes full circle. Because I remember, you know, the first time getting paid for conducting going like, I feel like I'm getting away with something. Yes. And now it's my job, Mm -hmm. but I still do feel that way. It's like yeah. oh, wow, and it's also what's getting paid because yeah, and it's a lot of work and it's very intense. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, but just like I get to do this, we get to do we get to do this, art. and we
1: love it. We absolutely we love, love it. it. And if that money went away tomorrow, we would still be. I would still be singing. And I would still be sing- conducting. <laughs> Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and it really, really shows the sincerity that um, an artist has to his craft, not just me and you, but artists all over the world.
0: So can you tell us a story of a time when you really, one maybe one of the first times that um, you felt really connected to reggae or one of the first, first moments where you woke up to, you just had an experience that you could never come back from with oh, music. Absolutely. Can you tell us about a
1: time when that Definitely. happened? Definitely. Um, I'm going to cheat and tell you two times, if that's okay with you. That is, it's all, you have the microphone. Okay. So one of the times would would have been my very first tour, you know? So I was singing in Jamaica, doing small club gigs and such, and doing a lot of background vocalists. That's a lot of um, recording and support vocals. But when um, the Whalers, headed by Aston Family Mad Barrett, called for me when I was 21 years old and brought me all through a tour, all through um, the U.S. As the youngest um, person and one of the only two females there, having Mm. the opportunity to play with these towering legends. I remember the first night I was on stage and I could not believe it. I was shivering in my boots, but I was also like my mind was blown, <laughs> you know? So that was one of the days. I, 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 and it was in that moment that I realized that I had an important part to play and um, I'm still playing it. I still don't feel like I have given back to music or used the music as a tool to do all the good that I can use it to do. But whenever I reflect on these moments, I feel reinvigorated and I stay the course. Um, right. Another one is when um, I went back to Africa. Now, I went to Africa as a supporting vocal, vocalist for an artist called Richie Spice. It happened almost overnight. They called me the week before and said, "Do, do are you available to go to Africa? Now, the reason why this was so important for me and, and touched me so deeply is because I would have been the first person on my maternal side where I grew up with my grandmother in the countryside, you know, third generation from being a slave, you know to go mm-hmm. back to Africa, not only as a free woman, practicing my craft, but being paid by the government of Kenya to be there. And I felt like that was a turning point for me and my family as well. I felt like wow. the ancestors would have been happy to know that I had that opportunity. You know? Absolutely. So, yeah, that was strong. Thank you that's for letting so, me share. That's so...
0: really... <laughs> Really powerful because that's not only about you as an artist giving to people where you are, but really going home, capital H home, in a sense. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that notion, what you just brought up there, how many generations freed? Did you say three many, generations? Three generations. That's correct. So do you, wow. So do you know? Um, do you know specific history, or that's what you've counted back? Do you know specific people, names, and places in terms of slave history in your family?
1: Absolutely, I do. So um, my great-grandmother's name, um, I have two of them because my grandmother was adopted. My biological great-grandmother's name is Sarah. And she was the first person to be born free in my lineage. Now, I don't know what her slave mother's name would have been, but I know that she was the very first woman. And she was also a community leader as well. So she was a really right. powerful woman. And my grandmother, as I told you, was a kindergarten school teacher. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. And what was it like for you when you first learned that? When it went from just being, we were slaves to my great great-grandmother was the was first, what's that like, that
1: moment? You can, it, 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 it brings it into perspective because we are here and we are abusing our freedoms. We don't understand that we are such a lucky generation of people, regardless of what colour we have, but all of these um, potentials and opportunities that are there for us, And it pulled mm-hmm. things into perspective because that's not so long ago, Daniel. It's
0: not. No. It's not that long ago.
1: No, and it's how quickly we've ago. forgotten! How quickly we've forgotten! And mm-hmm. a lot of people are abusing the freedoms that our ancestors fought and died to allow us to have. Mm-hmm. You know. So how um, do you see
0: how do you see that happening?
1: I see that happening when young people don't try their best. When they're when they they're not they they're not well adjusted. They don't have their head screwed on. You know. There were persons fighting for them to be able to get the right to go to school, yet you go to school and you waste your time. Or um, even something as simple as reading. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They used to have to hide to read and hide to have certain books. And you have all this at your fingertips and you do not... Not you specifically, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, she saw me this afternoon on the
0: couch watching Netflix when I should have been working. I'm like, oh, I but feel like But general, it's just very... some simple
1: things and how generally yes. um, we take them for granted.
0: <laughs> we do take things for granted, don't we? Yeah. You know, I, it's one of those things. Uh, my, last Bartholomew my last name is Bartholomew Poyser. My mm-hmm. last name is Bartholomew Poyser. Slave name. Yep. Slave name. Yes. Slave name totally disconnected from anything past great great grandfathers um, total disconnection from yes i, I mean and, okay there's like connect i mean you know we have a- african art and family would have inculcated a sense of um, belonging but uh, but africa itself i don't i, I haven't been to africa yet we will go yep. right but it's just different when you can say i know that this person was the first freed Person in my family. Absolutely. What a difference it makes. And I remember Absolutely. learning that um, uh, some of my family grew up in the same region, w- in the same region of Jamaica that slaves were brought from to Halifax. So it's possible that some of my ancestors actually worked on Citadel Hill, right? It's the okay. same, um, so it's, oh, wow. When, when I read that, when I was doing research, oh, oh. Yes,
1: yes.
0: Wow. So you are a it's Maroon. So- uh, yeah, well, I, I, I wouldn't go that. I wouldn't go that far. Like I know, Misha Bruger Gossman is a maroon, right? Yes. It's possible. Be, it's possible, but mm-hmm. the po- It's the possibility
1: mm-hmm. that,
0: like you said, puts things into perspective. It yes. makes you go, "Oh, it's not just history; it's actually impacting me." So that's something I want to look into uh, a lot more. Exactly who went where and what, and and all the different things that happened. So, sure. h- how does this affect your? music making, and I mean, it might be an obvious question, but I mean, we've talked about very deep things. How is it playing and affecting your music making recently? Your heritage, the struggle, everything that's been going on in the world, how's that affected your music making?
1: Most recently, um, as you know, some heinous crimes and incidences of police brutality are, are reminding us that we're still not free, Danielle. Mm-hmm. And every opportunity you have to tie your craft to social activism and positive progress and and, and, and movement, I think you should take that as an artist because I think that there are a trillion love songs out there and it's okay, I love love songs and I love poetry and I love idealism, but also we have to open our eyes and realize what's going on and then use the tools that we have, you know what I mean, at our disposal. So whether it is you are a visual artist, and you channel what you're feeling about the things that are happening in the world into that art, you know, all different mm-hmm. sources of creativity. So I f- was feeling very frozen at the time and very numb. And um, I was bubbling with a friend of mine, Richard McNeil. He plays in my band, he plays keys. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, Richard, I don't think I can write today. I'm sorry. And he says, um, What's going on? And I said, Did you see, you know, the footage? You know? Mm-hmm. He said, yes, I saw it and I, I couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't believe what I was watching. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then he said, well, if you feel so strongly about it, just start writing. Just start writing. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't know how to approach something like this because there's so many layers to, you know, to uncover. And he said, mm-hmm. if you were talking to that police officer, what would you say? And then I, I, I said, I would ask him, what, what do you have to say for yourself? And that is the first line of the song. Chat their names um, that we mm. released early in the summer. And I said, what mm-hmm. I would ask the police officer, I'd be like, "Why are you doing this? What is your motivation? Do you have anything mm-hmm. to say for yourself? You know what I mean?" And then, and and, and it, it kind of evolved into a, like like an appeal to him for him to have some conscience, mm-hmm. pretty much.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly, yeah. it's incredibly powerful. And I think one of the things that. And maybe this is something that we gain from our heritage mm-hmm. is this mixing of the political and the musical in a way that 's natural uh, and that 's not necessarily it's it's confrontational but in a different way. I think of the Kaiso tradition in Trinidad, which is a lot these are you know some of these songs can be eight nine ten minutes and yeah. there 's always, they 're always political they have a political subtext but it's not um it's not left wing right wing we hate each other that mm-hmm. it 's not that. I mean, it can be, obviously, but it's, it's more about, like, oh, this is something that happened, and just a commentary on the politics of the day, yeah. and really inventive, and with humor, and the audience, yes. even if they're listening to it, and the, and the Calypstonian is saying something that is a, bit, a little bit different they don't necessarily agree with, they might say oh, wow, he really, he really got him with that line. He really yeah. zinged him, right? So yes. there's like, it's almost like sport, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that you did so well responding to the moment, what was happening in the world and history with music, with art. And it was like, bam, it just came up. It was like, oh, this is now. This is, yes. it's, it's, it's effective. It's true. It's real. It's authentic. It was such an impressive, and I, I encourage you uh, to look up you know, Jamila, chant their names, on, it's on YouTube, I'm sure it's everywhere. Yes,
1: it is. I, so yeah, <laughs> it's on YouTube easy. and Spotify, all of the, the streaming platforms.
0: Yeah. And, and since then, have, has there been, um, what has writing music been like for you since that time?
1: Since that time? So since that time, um, I, I started a full-time job as a project manager at a tech company. <laughs> so I have written maybe a total of four songs since then, and mm-hmm. I have demos for them. I'm working with Erin Costello, to um, record three of those songs. And I also have another song, Sugar and Spice, which is a love song.
0: <laughs> ah, <laughs> yeah. well, that's okay.
1: That's great. It's great. Yeah. But um, I felt like chat their name said what I had to say politically. And then um, I, I, I just kind of like, used whatever came, I just kind of poured it out on paper. But when Chat Their Names was created, what set it apart was that um, Richard, who I helped to create it with me, said, we're gonna stop everything else we were doing during COVID. We're gonna stop everything because the people need to hear this now. Mm -hmm. And I was absolutely floored when I realized that everyone who wanted to be involved, to share their energy and skills and talent, to put it out to the people, and there were not only black people, there were people from mm-hmm. all different backgrounds who were passionate about positive change as well. So right. that that video was not only me, it was the videographer that came and said, I want to make this video. And the, the publicist that said, I want to help you to promote this. And Richard, okay. that's, you know what I mean? So people just kind of showed up. And then from that, <laughs> it went back to regular programming.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 What's that like? Transitioning from woo to back to regular programming?
1: Oh, I don't mind it at all. I feel yeah. like we did a good, um, we did something good, and I felt like people were touched by it. And a lot of people may have, you know, shaped, you know, their feedback or what should I say, their attitude towards the issues that were going on, and that, that the song helped to influence them in a positive way. So I feel like that's good. Sometimes you have, you know, you have highs and lows, and that's okay.
0: I was gonna say wow where did you get this incredibly positive healthy attitude from can you teach this at universities please to young musicians because like what you should be saying is like oh where's my next hit like uh, will I ever succeed will I ever but no you're working full time you're making music you're making meaningful music you're making impactful music and you're working another job this is a, some sort of incredible hybrid life that you have. And do you see this as a sort of model for how artists can live?
1: It is a lot of work, especially balance. If I could, I would do music all alone. Um, I do have another side of my brain that, you know, loves management, loves HR, loves that sort of stuff. But um, I love music more. (laughs) Right. And if I could do music alone, I would love to. But at this point, especially with COVID upon us, the prospects of being able to manage yourself and your life um, just on your creativity is a little more harder than it was even before. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another thing too, when I was growing up, um, I went to university. I, I pursued an economics degree. I, I went to NSCC. I did business management. And I've been have been trying to develop that. So I will always have something to fall back on. Because the worst thing that could happen to me, Danielle, and you might understand, is I would never want to rely so much on music that I sell myself short with it that I, uh, I feel like I have to take on another layer of clothes. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking exactly, about.
0: <laughs> exactly what you mean. Learn it's to like, twerk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want to be making it, saying things that you want to be able to say. And I think Absolutely. there's, we have this very romantic image, at least in orchestral music, that you suffer for art and you have just, you know, a loaf of bread and, and just, you know, maybe butter. Uh, but you give everything that you possibly can and you struggle and you barely survive. But no, when you look at the lives of many of the artists, many of them had, many of them were so financially smart about the way they use their money, that that's what allowed them to be inventive and allowed them to be creative. There are two famous composers that met and they were, they were mm-hmm. enemies kind of. Okay. Right? And um, this one is Rachmaninoff and Stravinsky, and their wives finally got them together to talk. Mm-hmm. And when they overheard the two men talking uh, you know, in, the, in the parlor for a while, they weren't talking about music, they were talking about finances. And say, ah, you lost the copyright on this. You would have made five hundred because if you have that support, if you have that base, and you can support yourself, then you're allowed to be creative because you're not beholden to making sure that you sell X number of whatever, right? And I think of Sufjan Stevens, who has his own record label, who's a person like that. He's incredibly inventive and creative because he can afford to be. So absolutely, I, I'm I'm excited honestly about what that will allow you to do. It's super big I'm sure it must be absolutely crazy. But for you, with your background, to have. Um, that level of authenticity and freedom, freedom to do whatever the heck you want to do. Exactly. See- <laughs> yeah. Okay. I see the big smile. So yeah. Okay. That's it. We're hitting, we're hitting the nail on the head there. So that, and, and I wanted to add great.
1: to you as well, Danielle, um, what the Nova Scotia community has done to foster that and to nurture that too. Because um, as I said, when I was in Jamaica, a lot of the, the things I was doing was always supporting roles, someone else's dream. And I right. always just felt good to feel to be included, you know? <laughs> right. But when I got here, I had some brothers in a, in a band called Dub Cartel that shoved me into the middle of the stage you know, they took every opportunity oh, yeah. To, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah, like the deer in headlights and I had to respond, you know, and, uh, and I've grown a lot as an artist since I've been here. And the Music Nova Scotia has been supporting me as well, always keeping me connected, you know, even with, um, with um, opportunities, even like the one that I did with you guys, the Black is Beautiful series, right. you know, so I'm, I'm really thankful for that. What was that
0: like for you performing with Symphony Nova Scotia? like was it scary was it fun was it exciting was it different was it what you expected what was uh what did that feel like
1: i was excited about it and i'm going to with your permission daniel i'm going to share okay. I'm going to share because when I, when I, when I was late that day and there was the prospect that I wouldn't get to perform, I bawled my eyes out because I was looking forward to it for weeks ahead. And and it was a lesson as well, because you know what? I don't think I've been late for anything since then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. So for the, for the listeners, I, and there was, and there was, I remember there was a real reason why you had ended up being late. Yep. <laughs> and, and, but so this is actually, because you, you said you learned a lesson, but so did we, so mm-hmm. did we learn a lesson because what's always really interesting and something that I've learned as a result of being with Symphony Nova Scotia is we do so many partnerships with so many different groups, so many collaborations with people from different cultures and uh, musicians from different music cultures as well too, because every Every music, capital M Music, has a culture. And when you take any culture and put it together with orchestral culture, there's often, I don't know what this is, but there's often... A little conflict. Yeah, yeah. There we go. There's often a little conflict. Why? Why is that? So in orchestra land, and I'm calling it semi-pejoratively orchestra land on purpose. It's mm-hmm. like if we are having a concert today, the musicians have to have the music two weeks in advance because we're expecting them to do everything perfectly yes, right dear absolutely. listener when you come to the hall you're expecting basically perfection right they know that okay give us two weeks we can do anything that's that that's a lot of pressure itself. if they're going to have that music on time then the librarian has to have it in their hands to give to the boers two weeks before that which means the librarian has to have had it at least two weeks before that which means it has to be on its way from wherever in germany at least two weeks before that which means it has to have been ordered to so everything's bam, bam 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 so yep. we are very and it's not. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Orchestral culture. Is, actually, it's not a bad thing. This is how it no, works. Like, bam, I bam, 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 bam. So then, if somebody comes to work with us and they're not used to that culture, I've seen this happen so many times. People come to orchestra and they're just like, they're already scared. They're already like, oh, I am doing everything okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. or, is it, was that okay? Was that good? Oh, I'm so scared. And that doesn't help music making. It doesn't help music making. So, and I'm so glad, I'm so glad that we were just like, oh yeah, you're going to be fine. You know, we talked about it. It It's just like, she's so strong. The musicians loved you. They loved you. you. They did. You just knocked it out of the park in both performances. So it was so great because you're such a natural musician. It's so easy to work with you. Thank Um, you very much. And so that was such a learning for me as well too, right? But this is one of the things. So... And and to all the musicians out there that are working with orchestras, you know, orchestral culture is not necessarily flexible. That's because of you know we're tuning to A four forty or A four forty one. You know, it's very very precise, and uh, we have we're unionized, and all these things are what allow us to perform at the level at which we perform that that degree of specificity, that degree of rigor. Um, I'll
1: share something with sorry, you. Sorry, I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. No, I love it. No, sorry. I Don't mind me. I just wanted to interject to, to add on to a point you were saying. Bob Marley, my father tells me that he was the strictest man in rehearsals. Right. They would be rehearsing for a tour months in advance. They didn't just right. get up and um, roll out of bed. And and that's the sort of, um. what should I say? I'm going to call it laziness for want mm-hmm. of a better, more euphemistic word, <laughs> because I am used to a culture, the culture that framed me, the culture that, that matured me was a little lax in that regard. Mm-hmm. We, we weren't always on time, you know what I mean? And, and I think that is what separates a great musician and a great performance from something that's mediocre. Mm-hmm. So I aspire to that. As a matter of fact, I thought it was refreshing and I was like, yes, it gave me something to aspire towards. It was like, that's the sort of discipline that separates, you know, good from great. And, and, and I respect that. So, yeah, kudos to Orchestra Land and thank you for that. <laughs>
0: <lesson>. <laughs>
1: well, this is one of the,
0: this is, and this is now to re, to really get into it because we both come at it from the different, because you're, you are... a a black leader working with white musicians. And so let's say like you're a black musician, a black woman working with maybe a lot of Western European musicians in a black music. And I'm a black man working with a lot of Western Europeans in Western European music. So yes. we see, the, so so we're very <laughs> we're doing interesting things, aren't we? Wow, we are. We certainly are, and it's interesting. It's just so it's it's so interesting uh, in terms of the cultural shifts. Once uh, uh, the way people make music is it organic or is it more technical? Organical or organic or technical? Um, <laughs> I was working with some indigenous with some indigenous musicians, yes, and they were allotted by mm-hmm. moi. 24 Mm -hmm. minutes of rehearsal and during which time we would begin with their six minute piece. We would play it through. We would have two minutes for comments. We would rehearse a few spots. And then at minute 17, we would play it through again, leaving one minute for comments, a couple of things. Right. Yeah. We got to the end and they were like, you know what? Let's change this. Let's. And I'm just like, that's not on the plan because I'm very (laughs) methodical. methodical, Right. So, Mm -hmm. These cultures, when we come together making music, it was really interesting to see um, what we learned. And I, I mean, you were obviously very, very rigorous because the way that in your in your performances, you were just um, it, w- it wasn't methodical, but it was just nailing everything each time, right? So you're so reliable and consistent. And that's one of the things that made it so easy and wonderful to work with. Thank and you. I think that orchestras have a long way to go in terms of working with musics of other cultures and learning those cells, but we, but we want to, you know, and we're willing. Yeah. So what is it like for you being like, do you have to teach aspects of reggae to non Jamaican, non black participants? Do you feel like you have to teach and help them understand the culture or do they already come to it with, with understand? I'm, I'm saying they like, that's already othering, but <laughs> or, like, cause maybe they didn't grow up listening to Bob Marley, but maybe they
1: did. Maybe they white. did. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. all of what you're saying is correct. <laughs> because, um, I um not hear that
0: often, so thank you.
1: Everything, yeah. Even the contrasting views are correct. So I have eight people in my musical family, and they are all there because they wanted to be. I did not have to ask them to be there. They showed up for me, and they keep showing up for me. So, yeah, yeah big up all of you guys. I love you a lot. Um, a bunch of them grew up listening to, to reggae music heavily. Alec Frith, for example, has been running Sound System Sundays as the one of the biggest, um, what should I say, supporters of reggae music in the city mm-hmm. for years before I even moved here. And Andrew Branch, who plays percussions in our band as well, mm-hmm. he had his own band um, and still does. Andrew Branch and the Halfway Tree. So he plays with them and then he also plays with me as well. So that's great. But then like my friend Christine has a a little bit of a, what should I say? Performing like theatrical training. She did some acting when she was in high school and she works at the Immigration Museum. She didn't know much about the musical culture of Jamaica outside of the popular Bob Marley, for example. But then getting her to go to Jamaica with me, which I want to talk a little bit more about later on, um, and really exposing her to the music, writing down the lyrics and also the translations of it so she can actually understand <laughs> That's <great>. That's <laughs> what it's great. saying. Exactly. Exactly. So with each um, member of my band, we have to approach it differently. And then collectively, uh-huh. we bounce ideas off of each other uh-huh. as to how are we going to approach this style? And then we like reference uh, an artist that we know or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we, we learn together.
0: Yeah. That's fantastic. That's so yes. great. <laughs> I, I, re- I remember in terms of uh, the Western European interface with reggae, working in the summers at uh, kids camps in Germany. And reggae is huge in Germany. It's huge. I I hadn't realized the extent. Yes. I was like, okay, well, thank God I'm black and half Jamaican, or else I'd totally lost (laughs) here. Because they're like, oh yeah, then this album here, and had so gemacht, and that's why in nineteen hundred. They just knew. They knew reggae and like deep cuts, and like on this tour, this happened, and this guy. It was really, it was really impressive. I have
1: a little story to tell you about that. Tell us a story. I remember when I came here and I was talking to um, Alec and he was like, so does your dad still have that uh, Stratocaster that he played the, uh..." and I'm like, (laughs) 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 dude, that nice. is how well he knows the music. So, great. so that when he went and sat and got the opportunity to sit with my dad and play, the level of conversation they were able to have is something that I probably wouldn't have been able to have because I haven't been digging so deep into the history like Alec has been, you know, and he's been doing it for much longer than I have because he's a little older than I am as well. So that's, right. that, that was something that was really eye-opening for me. And it brings me also to appropriation versus respect. So a lot of people think that if you are white, you should not be playing reggae or vice versa. If you are black, maybe you should not be playing classical music, just for example's sake. And I'm like, I know people from different backgrounds that Mm -hmm. take a more respectable approach to an art or a culture. No gimmicks. You know what I mean? No disrespect they are they are sincerely fascinated and moved by it, and I feel like if that is your approach, it should not be labeled as appropriation. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean, but if you are you know, dressing up and just being gimmicky about it and not giving it the respect it deserves, not finding out about the route, then I feel like then you might want to ask some more questions. But both the bands that I played with here, Dub Cartel and the guys that are now in my current band, both traveled with me to Jamaica because mm-hmm. I brought it up. I was like, do you really love this this um, genre, do you really love it? You know, it's the voice of the oppressed. It's the voice of, reggae really stands for a group of you know, the lower class of Jamaicans in, in a time when they didn't have any other outlet. And this was their outlet. And I remember having the Dub Cartel guys in Kingston around all the Rastafarians, Naya Bingi playing, and my dad is just blowing all the marijuana, smoking their faces. And at that moment, when I saw how much they were soaking it all in, I would never, ever, I would defend them because mm-hmm. it is not appropriation. And people accuse people that... Um, try out new things of appropriation. And I think it's not so always on the surface. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for letting Well me said. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's just, uh, so everybody just rewind that last two minutes and listen to it again. No, because it's a real thing. It's, it's a really, really important point. And I'm glad that you, that you talked about that because people will wonder, people will ask, like, where is the, um, the line drawn? But I think having that distinction between appropriation and respect it's hugely important. And you're a leader, even just for say, for saying that and for making the, that demarcation. I think it makes it really, it's, it's very helpful for us to have in our minds, especially now, because snap judgments abound. And sometimes I can, appropriation is real and appropriation is violence. But sometimes it can also be, we can be intellectually lazy without looking at the work that real people have done. saying, oh, he's white, he's playing reggae appropriation, but you don't know that actually... Maybe he, you know, there are white people in Jamaica. Uh, maybe he spent twenty years exactly. studying the craft, you know. So it's always about looking a little bit deeper. Nobody said to me, "You're black, you can't do classical." I'm, I've never heard that. I don't think. I don't think I will. Maybe I will at some point. It's
1: <laughs> no. Let's hope you don't. Fingers crossed.
0: <laughs> I'm not, just not. i like, okay, well, it's, it's my job. I'm way too far, and I can't do anything else. So <laughs> sorry. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I should seriously address that question, but um. Yeah, it's 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 an it's an interesting dichotomy because in Trinidad, mm-hmm. uh, where my mom grew up, they heard classical music every day in the schools. Right? Wow, that's, that's what they heard. They heard classical music every really? day. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They grew up because they grew up as uh, a British school system.
1: Ah, right? so they of grew up.
0: They grew up hearing this uh, this classical music, and they grew up with it. And there would be like mm-hmm. you know, some soca some a little reggae,
1: some yeah. calypso,
0: some classical, then some Bach, then a kaiso, and then so mm-hmm. that's just kind of how it was, right? And that's that's and that's why everything kind of blends together. So, yep. So you would say that reggae is for everyone. Would you agree with that? Reggae is for everyone.
1: Reggae is for those who respect it and understand it, and um, not only want to dance to it, but want to understand. You, you take a second to listen a little deeper and to understand. Really, what it represents? Because I know people who say reggae changed their lives.
0: Mm, can you I talk more people...
1: about that? Oh, of course. I've, I've, so I've toured a little bit. I toured with this band called Groundation for, from um, California for years, and they're a, a predominantly white band playing incredibly great reggae music mixed mm-hmm. with jazz as well. And as I said, I toured with um, Family Man and um, The Whalers, and, and you go to places and you get to have conversations with people in strange places that are like, mm-hmm. you know, I this is the first album I got and it changed my life and I've loved reggae since, you know. Or things like, um, I used to, you know, be a little bit more self-deprecating or whatever and mm-hmm. this music lifts me up. it You know, it gives me positive vibrations, you know what I mean? Things like that. And it's, it's always good to hear these things because it, it, you, can only, you can only say that if you say, okay, then if only if you make reggae, you should listen to it. But if everyone in the world is listening to it and you're trying to sell the music to all the ears of the world, then people are going to be moved by it. And who are you to tell them not to sing along <laughs> <laughs> or play along? You know, <laughs> it's as simple as that, really. Yeah. <laughs> Or the next time you put out an album, say um, for black ears only or for white ears only or just kind of put a little (laughs) bit more. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah.
0: You are a fierce black woman leader who's bringing reggae to everybody, who's bringing reggae to stages across the world, to Africa, to the concert hall, to the orchestral stage. That's what you're doing. I, I think you're a real shining light. I don't know if you see yourself as that but really you are in terms of leadership. Do you see, like, how do you see your role in terms of, you know, you talked about what reggae can do and who it's for. So Mm -hmm. in the same way, can you talk about Jamila and what you want to do in the world with your art, with your presence, with your voice?
1: That's a great question. I'm going to start off with a very cliche one. If I've seen farts because I've stood on the shoulders of giants, the giants are the Dennis Browns of the world, the Bob Marley of the world, you know, my dad and all the work that he put in, you know. And and, and to understand what was the driving force for those guys, it was because they wanted their voice to be heard. You know, mm. little guys from the garrison and ghetto communities that have used this art craft to... Um, to spread so much joy and positivity and to actually bring about good, positive social change. And if I am not in it for that reason, then I, you know what I mean? I don't feel like <laughs> I'm approaching it in, with the right way, you know? I want to be able to continue that journey because those guys aren't around to do it anymore. And I want to know that right. reggae is in good hands.
0: I think reggae is in tremendous hands. Thank you, Jamila. <laughs> Thank that's, you. That's... You know, it has been an honor and a privilege to speak with you tonight, one of Canada's up-and-coming artists in so many different ways in terms of leadership, in terms of social justice, in terms of spreading that joy and positivity through music, uh, in terms of the way that you use the freedom that you have to say what you want to say, to say things that lift us all up and that respond in the moment to the moment it's tremendous. We're so looking forward to working on behalf of Symphony Nova Scotia. We are so looking forward to the next time that we get to work with you, that we get to work with you. And we, we both get to push boundaries in terms of uh, what happens on the stage and what happens in the audience and everything <laughs> in between. So let me ask you one final one final question. Um, I would just like you to say a few words to the people, to Symphony Nova Scotia, listeners, to anybody here. Just say a few words about... Um, maybe what the next couple of months, maybe the next six months holds for you as an artist and what you hope to see in the world in that time.
1: Oh, for sure. So um, within the next couple of months, our team had held off on releasing some uh, material that we recorded in Jamaica in February when we went pre-COVID, our our band traveled to Jamaica. So we'll be releasing a a video for our next single, Roots Girl. And -hmm. then we're also working on our album. So we'll be having two more releases from that between now and February. So look out for that. And pretty much I want everyone to be safe. I want everyone to care for themselves because it is a hard time. It is a hard time for all of us. Mm -hmm. You know, Reach out to your friends, check in on them, make sure everyone's okay because a lot of us are fighting, really like silent quiet battles so yes look out for your friends be safe love your brother as yourself and keep making music whatever just keep making music Jamila thank, thank
0: you. you so much it's been great having you thank you Danielle this has been enough room and uh, there's enough room for Jamila on all of our stages and we hope that there'll be enough room for her in your music listening whether it's on Spotify YouTube everywhere take a listen out for her the a great evening.